Hey y'all, I'm Sam Landis, and this is the Out Down South podcast. And I'm Rachel Garbus. We are co-founders of the Atlanta LGBTQ Plus History Project and co-hosts of the Out Down South podcast, which you're listening to. Each episode, you'll hear from a Southern LGBTQ Plus history maker in their own words. So this episode you're about to hear is with Grant Henry, a.k.a. Sister Louisa, of Sister Louisa's Church of the Living Room and Ping Pong Emporium, or as we call it, Church Bar. Such a fun name. Uh, <laughs> can you set the scene for us? You recorded the oral history at Church Bar, right? What was that like? Yeah, we did. So I met Grant Henry at the bar. We did um, the photography portion with the photographer first. And it was the middle of the day, so we were able to record there on the second story. Um, Church Bar is pretty big. They have they've expanded. They have a whole second story now. So we went upstairs to record where nobody was working. And I had my microphone, and but I didn't have my microphone stands that I have now. So I wasn't really sure how to set up the microphones. So Grant had the ingenious idea to put them in pint glasses, which worked really well for holding microphones, uh, but also created a little bit of a tinkling glass clinking noise. So if you hear that in this interview, that's because the microphones are in pint glasses. So that's how we recorded the interview with Grant Henry. Quite the creative um, problem solving. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so before we get started, can you tell me a little bit about Grant Henry? Yeah. Or Sister Louisa, I or guess. Or Sister Louisa. Yeah. He goes by Grant in his regular life. Um, but yeah, he's really a fascinating person. He's only in his mid-60s, but he's lived this really incredibly varied life. He's done all these different jobs, and he's really just been motivated his whole life by a real curiosity about life and people and just a really creative sensibility. And Church Bar, if you've never been, is just an absolutely wild, amazing place. The whole name, as we said, is Sister Louisa's Church of the Living Room and Ping Pong Emporium. And it's right on Edgewood, which is this really fun, vibrant street full of great Atlanta nightlife, uh, which is also, fun fact, right around the corner from where Martin Luther King Jr. grew up and where the MLK Center is. So it's a really great part of town. And Church Bar is full of like all kinds of fun things. It has all this really quirky art that Grant makes under the auspices of his artistic avatar, Sister Louisa. And um, in his work, he takes old oil paintings and portraits, like kind of stodgy traditional art, and he adds these very irreverent and saucy edits that you kind of have to see to believe. And then also the bar has these choir robes that you can put on while you're playing ping pong. And there's a flying nun overhead on the first floor. There's just all this art everywhere. It's just one of the best places in Atlanta. If you haven't been, you gotta go. So um, Grant's had church bar for a while, but that's not been his only occupation. He grew up in Panama City, Florida. And he moved to Atlanta in eighth grade with his mom and his siblings after his parents' divorce. And you can just tell that Grant was destined to make amazing things happen because when he's 14 years old, he's about to start high school, he sees a 100-year-old house for sale in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution classified section. He told me that he's always loved decor and antiques, and as a kid, he read the classifieds every single day. So he sees his old house and he convinces his mom that they should buy it. So it costs $11,000 and it's this old falling down house and needs a lot of work. And he and his family spend his all of his high school years fixing up that house. So I feel like that's just such a great story about who Grant has always been. Anyways, he goes to Florida State for college, Florida State University, and he takes a job right before he graduates uh, working at a hotel in Atlanta, which brings him back up here. And later, he works a bunch of different jobs. He works in insurance, and he's a traveling salesman. 
So he does all these different things. But what's really interesting about Grant's life is that even though he's worked all these different jobs, this bar that he owns, Church Fire, is really a reflection of a lot of the different steps in his journey. And I feel like one way that's really reflected is in the religious element of the bar. I always assumed going there that it was just sort of this cheeky response to the South's religiosity. But as I learned while interviewing Grant, he's actually studied theology at seminary. He was a divinity student. Let's take a listen to that part of his life. I went to seminary and uh, as more of a truth search than anything else. And we ended up uh, getting a divorce, and um, I was at seminary for two and a half years or something. I went to Columbia Seminary, and then my last year, I had read this book called The Transforming Moment, which I had had a lot of transformation in my life. I already felt like I know what that means. I know what it means to pivot and turn. And I know when it comes from the inside or when it comes from the outside, you know, there's a difference or whatever. So I... I had read this book by James Loder, and it was called The Transforming Moment, and I just was like, oh my gosh, I would love to meet this human being. This book is the most amazing thing I've ever met, or had ever read. And I look and come to find out he's a, a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. So I called him up, and I said, my name's Grant Henry, I'm at Columbia Seminary, and I would love to transfer to um, Princeton Theological Seminary if you will be my mentor. If you can be my, I forget what you call it, coach or whatever you call it. Well, you know, what do they call when you have a, you know, your teacher, what Ding, ding, ding. So he, I said, if you'll be my advisor and my mentor, then I would love to come take this course from you. So I took off and took that course and when I was up there, it was, a, uh, I think it might have been summer. I'm not sure. It may have been fall. And um, it was so, it was like 8 in the morning until 10 in the morning. And then all I could do is sleep the rest of the day. It was so overwhelming. It was so overpowering. It was like emotionally, physically, mentally, everything. It was like nothing like I'd ever experienced. And so uh, I did that and realized I can't continue, you know. Um, that in order is heading toward um, uh, why am I going blank here uh, it, when you get to the end, ordination when you go to ordination within the Presbyterian Church and one of the things that you were supposed to do is to be able to stand up in front of the church and I did the preaching classes I did all, all of it um, and I had a great time I had great friends and you know one quarter my, a good friend of mine and I lived on gin and tonics <laughs> and I'm not really a drinker but we were like okay we're not gonna eat this quarter we're just gonna every day we're just gonna have gin and tonics and lime and lime's gonna sustain us or whatever so we had a great time and uh, but I they wanted at the end of it they wanted you to say only through Jesus Christ is salvation possible and I said I can't really say that hmm. because I know people uh, you know when I was in married my to, to my first wife I, I um i was in the presbyterian church i became a deacon in the presbyterian church but sometimes there was some conflict like we had this uh, christmas international house program so it had people from other countries and there were a lot of people in that church from lockheed but were super conservative and they didn't want black people 
or people from other countries to be involved in the church when they were there. And I stood up against it and said, what do you mean? What does, what does it mean? You know, which is the same conflict I had when they told me I had only through Jesus Christ was salvation possible. Cause in that program at the, uh, the Presbyterian church that I was involved in in Marietta, um, I knew people from different countries and different religions who had seen the light, who seemed whole to me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who seemed like what Christians call saved or what Christians called uh, uh, second, anything. You know, when you, when you evolve in, into another space when you no longer feel like you're 100% control of your life, that, you, that there's some spirit guiding you or whatever, whatever religion that means. I said, I can't say that. I said, I will say, salvation is possible through Jesus Christ. They said, you can't say salvation is possible through Jesus Christ. I said, I didn't come to seminary to learn to lie. I came as a truth search, so I'm not really sure how I can say that and continue. They said, well, just say the words, they're only words. And I said, so they're only words and then the advisor that I was talking to said, um, sadly, <laughs> I mean, I look back on it and I don't, I mean, I have really, I have no regrets. It was an amazing experience, but it was like, you'll have beach houses, you'll have mountain houses, you'll have vehicles, your children will have an education. You become involved in the church and you will be, you're taken care of for life. You know, you will, in a good way, not in a negative way at all, but to me, it just, you know, went back to why I went to seminary was more of a truth search. And uh, so I said, thank you very much. It's been awesome. So I left before the end of it because I didn't want to go through the ordination. So after this, Grant really enters into his creative zenith, I would call it. As I mentioned, he's always been interested in decor and antiques, and eventually he opens an antique store. And though he had never thought of himself as an artist, he has this natural creative impulse, and eventually he starts making his own art. I, rem I had an antique shop in, in East Atlanta, somewhere along the line. Um, you ran one? Huh? You ran one? Uh, oh, I owned it. And it was called Sister Louise, it was called Resurrection Antiques and Other Worldly Possessions in the Church of the Living Room. And I had a um, hearse that would deliver furniture. It was, it was a concept, you know, it was just a vignette, it was a concept. So I collected, I collected primitive furniture and fun Jesus stuff and lamps and decor. I've always liked de decorating. That's, all, that's my main drive in life is to decorate. So anything I've ever bought or is just because I wanted to decorate it or it wasn't decorated right and I wanted to decorate it right or whatever. So uh, we were right next to this restaurant called The Heaping Bowl at the time and it was this was in the 90s. So it was before East Atlanta is what it is now. It wasn't even, you know, wasn't even East Atlanta Village at the time. And uh, so I was right next to this restaurant. So I had a deal with the restaurant owner that let my place be where they wait. They didn't have a waiting room, you know, and they, they were super busy. They were in Atlanta Magazine and whatever. And so they would come in and have clickers or beepers or whatever they had back in the 90s, and they would look around the, my store 
And I had pictures of Jesus everywhere. I had paint by number. I love paint by numbers pictures. I love them. I love them. They're so tacky. They're so horrible. And uh, so I had I juxtaposed this primitive furniture up against good art, some modern furniture, some modern lights or whatever, some nice paintings, and then funky, you know, prop kind of things around. And uh, it looks sort of like the vortex, you know, is that kind of vibe, but it was teeny. And um, I remember one day um, um, someone came in and I heard him talking. And I had at this point, I had started, I had moved into telephone factory and they had uh, my physical, my life, I moved there, not a shop. And I had a big loft and we had telephone factory art show every year. I forget how many years we did it, but maybe 10, 13 years or something. So I, my friends were doing art and I thought, I think I'm an artist, but I don't know what my medium is, you know, but I know my medium is something. And so some friends of mine and I went to uh, Prague in Amsterdam and we stayed with this woman that I fell in love with. Her name was uh, Louisa. Mm -hmm. And so she was an attorney, but over there attorneys aren't like they over here. They're just more like, she was a little spiritual bird. So she was maybe five foot two and her hair was probably three foot long, gray hair, beautiful. I love this woman. And so we stayed at her house. And so after we got back is when the Telephone Factory Art Show was and I thought, I don't know what made me do it, but I went to my shop and got all the paint by numbers that were there. I took them off the wall and I just started writing shit on them because it was things I believed. You know, I think, I think I'm just going to do, I'm just going to write. Because when people were in the antique store, I would say things to them. You know, like if there was a picture of a lady with a big beehive, I'd say, hire the hair closer to God. Or I'd say, she curls her hair with holy rollers. I always have played with words my whole life. And so I, when it was time for the telephone factory art show, I got all those paintings off the wall. And there were like 60 of them. It was insane. It was ignorant. It was stupid, just like church. And I wrote all this stuff on them and uh, sold out. Had a telephone show and sold out. I mean, like, so people were buying this shit. And it was like, it was making more than the antique store was. It was like, people are buying this stuff, you know? And it's, it's a fine, people always try to give me Sister Louisa sayings, but Sister Louisa, this is gonna sound crazy, but Sister Louisa say, the ones that I do, not so much, the, these were for the beginning of the pandemic when we were, we covered the windows. I just put, had had these put on, but all around the bar on the other three parts of it are all paintings with words that relate to what, you know, what the paintings look like or whatever, or Sister Louisa's interpretation of the paintings. So I started doing Sister Louisa art, and uh, the night before, I think, the show, I thought, you know what, I can't, I don't really want to admit that this is me. I'm not really confident enough so I would do the words, but I didn't sign them anything. And I thought, okay, well, I'm a guy, so I'm gonna say sister. And then Louisa is my friend in Amsterdam that I met, that I'd fallen in love with, not romantically, but just in love with. And so I just, her name is Sister Louisa. So everything's been Sister Louisa. And back then, so I've been doing Sister Louisa art since my first one, and they're, they're here in that room, two or three of them, 1996. And Sister Louisa used to be written like a quarter of an inch tall. And now look at her. She's like, the, that's all you see now is the word Sister Louisa. But that was my brother's doing. He said, Grant, you need to like, the, the word, your signature needs to be bigger. 
you know, and also I decided to stop dating them because in the beginning I dated them because I don't know why, but now I don't date them. And I sell them out of the bar and, you know, whatever, but here we are. I bought a house in Peoplestown and it was a $10,000 house and it was a crack house and the, the guy had donated it to Habitat for Humanity and they couldn't take it because it was too much of a slope. They have to have a ramp on their houses. So a friend of mine knew this person who had donated it and hooked me up with him and I bought this house for $10,000 and it was tiny, it was a crackhead or whatever. And I, and I had started doing the Sister Louisa art already. So I just covered the front of the house and I would collect crack lighters. I used to do a lot more crack lighter art. And uh, it's, uh, I don't even see anything here that, so it's just, when I bought this house, there were crack lighters filling the house. Those just colorful light, big lighters, uh-huh. but they break off a part of it so it stays hot the whole time. So maybe the crack stays has to stay hard and you don't want to burn your fingers or something. So it was a bunch of lighters in this house. So I started gluing those lighters on frames and pictures and everything. <laughs> and I ended up, so then I sort of created a commerce in the neighborhood because it was very sort of dangerous, you know, whatever. And um, I met this old man across the street. His name was Papa Smurf, and probably 85-year-old, 90-year-old old man. And I befriended him. I said, Papa Smurf, am I going to be safer over here if I'm mean or if I'm crazy? And he basically said, nobody in the neighborhood is like crazy people. So my, I, I have pictures. I, I cover. I started covering the house with crack lighters, and I covered mirrors, and I covered doors and windows. I had a cross in the front yard that was Jesus's tanning bed. It was high, high, as high as a house, and had a little sh- you could like, you could stand up on the cross and get a tan because the sun came that way. And um, and I had a got a found a, most everything off the side of the road. Just picked up stuff off the side of the road to do art, art with. I found an old beautiful '50s green sink you know from a house and i put a sign on the front this is sink without god so it was a sink or so i related everything you know toilet seat i found a toilet with toilet seats flush away your sins so i just started making all this art so people thought it was a church they thought the house was a church i literally it was upstairs i had to get a chain and a sign on the door i mean on the uh, bottom of the sidewalk the stairs that said no church today but <laughs> And all of them were crackheads. All everybody was a crackhead. So I started saying to all these crackheads, "I'll give you a nickel per crack lighter you bring me. Used ones. Once you've used your up your crack lighter, I'll give you a nickel." Now I look back, I was probably providing crack for them, you know. But at the time, I was buying their crack lighters. So I ended up getting three Home Depot huge garbage bags of crack lighters. So I'd already done the house. It was, can I say fucked up? <laughs> it was fucked up. The How whole, it was, fa- oh, I don't care. But what I, I made them do, because I didn't want to count them. 
I made them line them up in twos so I could go 10, 20, 30, 40. So it'd be like, I'd give them, there's $4, there's $6 and 60, there's $20. There's, so they would line up. I literally would get a knock on the door and I'd walk out and there would be two by two by two by two. So I could go 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, and count them. And I'd give them the money and I saved them. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I kept buying them. I kept buying them. I mean, fucking fool. I, and so I ended up, a friend of mine that used to live in Atlanta moved to Florida, to Panama City, Florida, in some thing. She had a two-car garage. And I said that I was going to make this. It was March. I was going to make uh, this car. A friend of mine had a Honda hatchback that he sold for 1000 bucks. It was a red little Honda hatchback from the 80s or whatever. So I bought this Honda hatchback. And I threw the three bags of crack lighters and drove to Panama City and um, ended up in her garage. It was warmer down there. Couldn't do it up here. And I silicone, I researched how to put a crack lighter on a car to make it stay, you know. So I put silicone on the back of the crack lighter and I covered the entire car with crack lighters and made a whole religious scene on top where three crosses on the front were... Remember when Tinky Winky was, or Pinky Winky, what was his name? Teletubby, Teletubby Tinky. Uh-huh. When Tinky Winky. Anyway, so I had three crosses, and he was on one of the crosses, you know. And I, I've had, I had things on the side written. Uh, on the back, I had crack and green on the side. I had hell is hot on one side. I had sin boldly on another side. The front hood was a hill with three white crosses. And then one of the one of them was Tinky Winky, Tinky or Pinky, Tinky, tinky Winky. And one was like all white that was, um, and, and then one was all like lighters that were like alcohol, you know, related or whatever. So I did an art show at Mary's, like right when Mary's opened or something. I had an art show there and parked the car there and did all the Sister Louisa there, and it's, you know, it's just. Again, accidental, I didn't mean to, but um, it, it was fun. I had a great time doing it, and <laughs> you know, anyway. So the last story we're going to share is how Grant came to explore his queer identity. He doesn't really call it a coming out story because for him it wasn't an in the closet and then out of the closet kind of experience. He's really just a person who follows the journey where it leads. So at a certain point in his life, he just starts being with men. And that's a big part of how Church Bar operates. It's a place for all kinds of people and that's really as Grant intended. The marriages were with women and stuff obviously. And um, after seminary, I met this Episcopal priest. And we started hanging out. I'd been to seminary. I had an antique store. He had an antique store. So we just started hanging out. And then all of a sudden, like maybe six months, just becoming friends, he was gay. I didn't really know any, I didn't really know any gay people, <laughs> you know, but he was a gay guy. And uh, so we started hanging out and then one day my daughter asked my stepdaughter said Andy Mary said and do you think dad's gay and so Ann told me that and I thought wow I didn't even you know I didn't even realize it wasn't 
to me, sexuality isn't all so much about penises and vaginas as it is about heart, you know? And then I realized that I was in love with this guy, you know? And so I literally, the next time I had my daughter after school or whatever, she was 14, we sat down and, uh, you know, at a restaurant after school or whatever, and I told her that, that Jim and I were seeing, you know, we're best friends, yes. And so, uh, that started that journey for me, which was, it was strange because people always, you know, yesterday was coming out day or whatever, and I won't see everybody's talking about coming out day and whatever. And I don't ever feel like I was in, I don't, I don't, you know, cause I love the women that I was with. I not guaranteed if I got in a, that I wouldn't get in a relationship with a woman, but I have been with men since then. And uh, I'm not really, uh, you know, I like living alone, so I'm not really relationship, relationship, so to speak, because you know I was married all my young younger age, so it's like you know what, I love deciding when I'm going to go to bed. I love silence in the morning. I love I love my life so much, you know. So um, I never felt like I, I was in, and I never felt like I came out. I feel like I'm more of a. a And that's what church is. It's like people say, is this a gay bar? No, is it a straight bar? No, it's, I feel like that all people are the same. I, I think, I feel like the labels are, un, for me, they're sort of unnecessary. And I know it's not for everybody because they, if they've struggled and been in and had issues coming out, it's very important. But I never had, uh, I never had an issue when I was in being, straight and I never had an issue after I was with Jim uh, and then I've been with other you know guys in relationships or whatever but I've never I, I, I feel like that it's not my it, it's not an authentic struggle for me you know and I'm 65 years old so I didn't even the, my first guy I was with was 44 I think or 40 or I was yeah I was 40 and he was 58 and so to me, it was just like, I thought it was really strange because when we started seeing each other, we were out at a park or something, started to hold hands, and it was like, you don't hold hands. You know, back then, you know, that's, was that really 25 years ago? Jesus, I'm dying. <laughs> that's a 20, we, you didn't really hold hands with yeah. a guy, and, you know, and it just wasn't comfortable, and he wasn't comfortable with, it's like, oh, this is, I don't know. I, But I don't, you know, if any, if any contribution I've made to the gay community at all is that I, I just think that everybody's equal. I think that anybody that walks into church, they don't feel judged. They don't feel like they have to be. Because truthfully, this, the reason why everybody's so comfortable with this place is because it's so much more fucked up than they are. There's nobody that comes in here that's as fucked up as this bar. So, so it's like, oh, okay. I, I thought I had an issue. I thought, I thought, I, thought I, can't, I can't talk to my mom. But, oh, whoa, look at this. You know, so many people love playing with the words and saying, they're, tell their moms or tell their whatever. The grandparents are there. Oh, we're going to church. I go to church all the time. Every, every week I go to church. And they don't, correct? They, they let them think they go to church. In fact, when I have an ATM down there, and people would say, 
the bank categorized, you know, how they divide your thing as a, that you gave to a charity by giving to church. So the money that they were spending at church was they were counting as tax deductible through their bank records or whatever. It's like, whoop. <laughs> uh. Thanks for sharing this interview with us, Rachel. My pleasure, Sam. I can relate to so much of what Grant Henry says, especially having grown up in the church and gone on my own truth-seeking journey. I actually haven't been to Sister Louise's yet, but after listening to Grant's story, I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, we'll have to go sometime. Uh, get dress you in some of those choir robes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was really great to talk more about Grant's life. Uh, when I was a little baby gay in Atlanta, going to church on Sundays felt like, well, it felt like going to church. And even today, it's one of my favorite places to dance in the city. And while the Jesus aspect is kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's also really genuine. It's a very creative, playful take on spirituality, but the spirituality is definitely there. You feel it. And I think it feels that way because that's Grant. That's really him shining through. Thanks to the hard work of one of our interns, Alyssa Zong. The transcripts of this episode are available on our website at atlantalgbtqhistoryproject.org. There you can also read more about Grant Henry, his art, and Sister Louise's church. And be sure to stop by Sister Louise's church sometime for a drink. They are open on the weekends uh, and also probably a lot of other times, but definitely check it out on a Sunday night. It's not to miss. We hope you'll join us for the rest of the season as we hear from our other honored subjects who have made an impact on the Atlanta LGBTQ community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you believe in preserving and sharing Southern LGBTQ plus history, we invite you to support the Out Down South podcast and the rest of the work we are doing with the Atlanta LGBTQ plus history project by going to our website at atlantalgbtqhistoryproject.org and clicking the donate button. We're grateful for our partners of the podcast, OCMAG, the LGBTQ Institute at the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, and the Special Collections and Archives at Georgia State University Library, where all the oral histories from this project will be archived. The Out Down South podcast is made possible by the hard work of an amazing team of LGBTQ plus creators. Co-founders of this project include John Dean and Rachel Ward. Our audio engineer and producer, Casey Willis, and our amazing interns, Alyssa Zhang, who helped us transcribe and produce this episode, Alex Campo, and Hunter Buchheit. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other queer history lovers find us. If you didn't like it, don't worry about it. You can find all our episodes and more information about the project on our website at atlantalgbtqhistoryproject.org. Until next time.